Nothing particularly significant or important. It wasn't uh, terribly dramatic. That boy needs therapy. That boy needs therapy. Lying down on the couch. That's crazy when we've got effective interventions at our disposal. What does that mean? Artifact sizes, empirical questions answered left and right. A lot of psychedelics became night. A lot of the psychedelics became illegal. Transcranial magnetic stimulation. Life is rubbish. For all of us. Welcome to the show. The frontier psychiatrist. Let's go. That boy needs therapy. That boy needs therapy. All that's going on here is that these people do not have a language for talking about their thoughts and their feelings. And as soon as they start talking about their thoughts and their feelings, they don't have to do crazy things. They don't have to do crazy things. All right. Welcome, everyone, to the Sphere Club and to New Frontiers, a clubhouse creator first show for pioneers on the frontiers of the mind and the media with your hosts, the frontier psychiatrist Owen Muir and Carlene McMillan. I'm Jeremy Fox. Today, we'll be talking about the broader implications of the hashtag Free Britney movement with a panel of mental health and legal experts and members of the movement itself that has been all over the headlines as Britney Spears fights to regain control of her life and her body. Like 31 million others, I've been following Britney Spears, um, sometimes a perplexing Instagram for quite some time. Um, and there's just so much about her res- uh, situation that really resonates with me um, as both a psychiatrist who's worked with people who've been under guardianships uh, and conservatorships, and also as a psychiatrist who's worked quite a bit with people with essentially extreme wealth and fame. Um, I also am a child of the 90s, so there's that. And I also wanted to just note that there are 1.3 million Americans under guardianship arrangements in the United States, and until the Free Britney movement, these got very little, uh, if any, attention by most people. So I'm here with my co-host and husband, Dr. Muir, who does not, I I don't think he follows Britney on Instagram. To start things off, I'm going to read him Britney's Instagram post from two days ago. And in the tradition of one of our favorite podcasts of all time, Reply All's Yes, Yes, No, I'm going to have him try to explain what this post means. Come along, folks. New with real representation today. I feel gratitude and blessed. Thank you to my fans who are supporting me. You have no idea what it means to, be, to me to be supported by such awesome fans. God bless you all. This is me celebrating by horseback riding and doing cartwheels today. Hashtag free Britney. So Owen, what is your understanding of, of this post and what is this what is the significance? Why are why did people write uh, this is breaking the internet? Why did MTV respond? This is awesome. Like what does this mean? So until you got to the hashtag like free Britney part and, and the horse riding, I could have sworn that was about the West Memphis three. <laughs> like it's it's shockingly similar. Does that does that West do people Memphis know three. who the West Memphis Three are? Is they might not know who that is, yeah, but those are some three wrongly okay. convicted kids. Yeah, do you want to say Owen? So for for one time, this was the big cause in in music. Pearl Jam spent like you know, twenty years on this case, where three young people were wrongfully convicted of uh, murdering young children as part of a satanic cult, 
And, you know, this was like, there was a documentary about it called Paradise Lost. There were like two more after that. Peter Jackson made a documentary. It was a whole thing because these people were put in jail against their will. And it sounds shockingly similar to the text you read up until the horseback riding celebration part. And the fact that this is about Brittany not having autonomy, not people actually literally in jail. So I actually, like, you've been kind of going on about this in a way I haven't followed, and I'm, I, I'm not there yet. Okay, fair enough. Um, so it was really, it's, I think it's the first time that she actually used that hashtag and acknowledged essentially the movement, So, which is why this is a pretty big deal. And we'll have some of our panelists, I think, weigh in on that to you, Rochelle, because I think when you saw us put this on the calendar several weeks back, you, you messaged me and like, oh my gosh, I have to be here. So tell us a little bit about your connection to this, to this story and why, why, it, uh, why it resonates so much for you. Um, so when I was in Louisiana, um, when we were about five and six, we took dance classes together. And just like even after she became Britney Spears, like who she is today, uh, we have always gotten free ticket to her concert, um, been able to go backstage with her. And I've noticed like a, a total shift in her dynamic and how she carries herself and how she speaks. And I know like when I was listening, uh, my husband and I were listening to the recording, we ended up hooking it up to the um, the amps in the house. And I ended up putting my hearing aid on, which I don't wear a lot. And um, I did have a little bit of hearing when I was growing up. I've lost most of my hearing over time she sounds like herself again. And for a while, she did not sound like herself. The dynamic between her and her father has always been there. Like, she never really had that good, close relationship with him, ever. It really resonated. It really hit home for me, especially with, you know, her being under the consideration and not having any rights to her body. She stepped off that stage. They huddled around her. And so, I don't know, it's really heartbreaking. And so I'm, I'm glad that things are starting to look up for her and she's been able to hire her own lawyer. Explain a little to us about what exactly is a conservatorship or guardianship um, and, you know, how do they work for people um, for, you know, mental health reasons? Sure. Um, so a guardianship is an arrangement, a legal arrangement, where a court places the ability to make decisions over one's personal life or one's financial decisions, and often both, um, in the hands of a third party. Usually this is a family member, but usually anyone can petition for guardianship over someone with uh, an intellectual or developmental disability or a psychiatric disability. And this could include uh, a state agency like Adult Protective Services in, in New York State. Another person is able to make all decisions for the individual under guardianship. And a lot of people describe it as a civil death because you really cease to exist legally as a person um, and your decisions are not given the weight that they would if you were not under guardianship. Yeah, a legal, a legal death. Um, that is it's pretty pronounced. And I think one of the, the things that's really kind of stood out in this case um, is the, the piece about having an IUD. Brittany shared in her, her testimony that uh, apparently she, she's wanting to have another child and, and with her, her boyfriend. 
this kind of triggered all sorts of feelings for me as someone who works, you know, a lot with people with, with mental illness, who want to have kids, who have different sort of perceptions about that and their family has different perceptions. And so that's why I really, I wanted Dr. Tinkleman to come on and just, Amanda, I think, you know, when you heard that, just, just tell us a little bit about your reaction and, and how does that fit into what you see as a perinatal psychiatrist? This is, um, it's a complicated issue because, of course, there are very, very, very few medications that we wouldn't recommend that somebody become pregnant on. And so when we're talking about issues of reproduction and um, reproductive justice, having autonomy over, over your body and those types of decisions is kind of a, a pinnacle ethical issue. And um, not having the right to make your own decisions about what medication you're on and whether or not you plan to um, pursue pregnancy or do anything else for that matter with your body is, is very heartbreaking. And this idea that somebody who may or may not have, have a mental illness or has struggled in the past um, might not be a good parent or that should disqualify them from being a good, a good parent is horse hockey and the idea that somebody else would be able to make that decision rather than that person in conjunction with their treatment team is um, really ethically um, disturbing to me. So, I mean, this, this, so as I understand it, like conservatorship, the idea is someone is so impaired that other adults are appointed by the court to make literally every decision for them about their money about their medical care, et cetera. All the things that we take for granted as things free people have or even imprisoned people have the right to make medical decisions and the like for themselves and their kids. And Brittany is at least, the contention is she has none of the ability to make those decisions. She is so impaired. All she can possibly do is $50 million Vegas tours. What the F is going on? It's like, seriously, this sounds like human trafficking is what it sounds like. Well, I think that's that's what she's uh, likened it to as well um, in terms of being a prisoner in that in that sense. And I think um, maybe what would be helpful is, is if uh, Dr. Vogel, maybe could you share a little bit about where you've seen these things used in mental health in particular? Because I know personally, I've only seen it in pretty limited circumstances. Um, including people with autism, uh, dementia, things that are really kind of long, long lasting, you know, not expected to like wax and wane really. Um, and I really have not seen this type of extreme measure used, um, you know, for other types of psychiatric illness. But what, what about you? I know you have a lot more forensic experience. Hi. Yeah. Thank you. Um, I mean, my experience of when conservatorships have been used for people is when people um, are str struggling or suffering with a severe psychotic illness, uh, mental illness, and they're also younger. Um, uh, like I've worked with some 17, 18 year olds where um, they have pretty prominent psychiatric illnesses already and the parents are um, you know, trying to help get them connected to care, to care and it has always been presented as a sort of short term um, short-term means to help get this person, um, you know, the treatment they need in order so that then they can, you know, live a more autonomous life. Um, experience. So I intersect with the forensic community in Santa Barbara County, where I can have a lot more wealth and privilege. Um, and I think maybe one thing is that there is such an estate and wealth involved 
Um, and I'm wondering if that's kind of with your population, uh, if there's overlap with wealth and the state. Because I see them used more frequently when that is a concern. I could say I've I've had experience with people with, um, you know, wealth and psychiatric illness. Um, and I will say usually there's there tends to be a little bit of a separation. Um, so people will have different sorts of trusts, um, different sorts of financial arrangements. I mean, if you're, you know, if you're very rich and famous, it's not like you can just go to an ATM and like drain your bank account. Like there's always sort of checks and balances when you essentially become a, a business, right? And you have these. So, and then, you know, for people that are like, you know, became famous as children or things like that, there's sort of financial trust structures in place. Um, but that doesn't necessarily kind of bleed over into things like, you know, mental health, like medications that you take or things like IUDs and, and things like that. Like they don't need to be separate. And similarly, I've seen people for whom they have only the metal, the mental health piece and they don't really have control, like the financial piece. Like they, there's many different ways to do it. Uh, the one Brittany has is extremely broad. Thank you, Jeremy. Well done. Well done. I love the uh, love the reset. Anyways, I think that I'd like to really kind of bring it to the here and now because it's one thing talking about Brittany, who is a big celebrity, who is, you know, just very different. And I've heard a lot of people sort of say they don't really know anyone else that has one of these types of arrangements. Um, so I'd like to turn it over to Hazel, who is new to Clubhouse, um, but I think has really been very willing to share her experiences. So maybe Hazel, could you just introduce yourself and, and tell us a little bit about kind of your, your situation? Yeah. So hi, I'm Hazel. Um, I'm a 24 year old trans woman and I grew up in residential treatment centers because as a young person around from when I started becoming around five or so, I became a problem child. I just displayed a lot of, um, emotional disturbance and it made it so that I couldn't really stay in any like private schools because I was I was just too much for them to handle so my parents basically I kind of understand why they did it sent me to residential treatment and I um the problem with the residential treatment wasn't that because I was too much to handle at home I get that but they never get offered me a path out of treatment they just kind of like were like once I was there, they just kind of kept me there because it was like easier, but they didn't really think about how that affected me. And then when I turned 18, basically, they tried to make it so that I didn't have my own sovereignty that you get when you're an adult that I would have to retain um, you know, they didn't retain control with a guardianship and they were going to court for it. So I was told at the time that this guardianship would be solely a safety net that it would be just in case I got arrested and I went to court and I needed like, you know, people to vouch for me that I like need help and stuff. And, you know, or if like, you know, I uh, needed like a medical decision and I was like in a coma made about me. That's what they told me I was going to be used for. But the thing is, is that it's been used kind of like, it, it's, it's just become one of those things where they say it's only going to be used for that, but then it actually affects so many other things as well. It's made it so that when I wanted to start transitioning, I wasn't able to get hormones for a long time because I wasn't out to my parents when I wanted to start. And my pharmacy, well, my pharmacy, my clinic found out that I have the guardianship. And then they told me they couldn't prescribe me the hormones without a parent, without a parental a guardian signature. 
and that just really like affected me in like a lot of ways like because you know I thought to myself I'm 18 like what's the big like it's not going to be a problem but then I went in there and it was a problem and so it just stopped me from like being able to have any kind of privacy any kind of like ability to make decisions about myself without having to go through them as a middleman you know so like even if they didn't intend on making it anything other than in case I got arrested or like really really um in incapacitated it was like you know it just spilled over into other aspects of my life and has made other things harder and also after like you know the massive distrust I've kind of gained from them over the years with taking my autonomy and putting me in these like shitty places it's kind of made it so that having like these people controlling my life now is like we have so much tension it's just like a bad idea for them to like you know after all the baggage we have it's not a, they're not in a good position I think to have this much say over my life I think with you know everything that we've got everything they've put me through it's kind of a, it's kind of just not healthy for them to still have this much power over me so that's really yeah thank you thank you Hazel say. yeah and and I think so in this case you have a situation where your parents are in the guardian role in California it's called conservatorship here we, we call it guardianship um and you've I think looked at the issue of potentially switching to a different individual other than your parents and could could you say a little bit about what you've been told around that? James Spears uh, counsel that Brittany could have just petitioned for the removal of the guardianship or conservatorship and that's as simple as doing that it's not you frequently need an attorney every you've been found incapacitated by a court which means that uh, every move you make is really sus and questioned by the court, wow. including your ability to choose counsel. That can often be uh, questioned, whether you are really, um, every decision you make, you're not able to make mistakes the way that most people who turn 18 and don't have guardians get to make mistakes. You're not able to make those mm -hmm. mistakes because they're held against you. Mm -hmm. So Hazel, a lot of the things that you are saying are true for so many of my clients with disabilities who are just never given the dignity to learn and grow the way most people are able to learn and grow without yeah, guardianship. Because so for me... Because all of the life experience that we try to get, every time, you know, we make a mistake that anyone our age would make, it's evidence that we can't handle ourselves on our own. Absolutely. You know? Absolutely. And it's very frustrating. It's very difficult to remove once a guardianship has been put in place and you yeah. frequently need an attorney and you need a circle of support. And really, um, courts are meant to be thinking about whether this is too restrictive a measure to put in place, but they frequently put them in place without doing a careful look at whether the individual actually requires a guardian or uh, it's simply based on um, paternalistic ideas about people with disabilities. And so I would just encourage that people think about that, that the perspective that most people with disabilities can make uh, all of their decisions, but require support to do it the way that everybody requires support to make decisions. So, yes, exactly. Um, yeah. One thing in, in excuse me, uh, I am a, a licensed attorney, but I'm in Texas. I'm not licensed in California, so I can't speak to other states and certainly wouldn't try to do so, but you are usually uh, in every state that I've been exposed to, and in this and in Brittany's situation, I understand she was assigned an attorney to represent her in the case, and the uh, and I, I'm surprised, Hazel, that you don't have an attorney representing you. 
the, the thing I've wondered about in the Brittany case is whether or not that attorney was making so much money by being her court-appointed attorney that he did not really want to act that that, that the disincent that there was actually a disincentive for him to act in her best interest because right, right. so much money was involved as opposed to acting in her best interest because he'd lose a client what they she won the wanted case. to go into court and say it is time for this to end and for her to be able to um be able to be out from under this which is why her now uh, why the ability for her to now select her own counsel is of such extreme importance in the britney spears case because like when it comes to a guardianship like I was never, I was never really, I think I was kind of misled almost about what it was like. They didn't tell me how much it would spill in, over into my life. They framed it as just being a safety net, which I don't think they, I think they knew it wasn't entirely that. Um, Rochelle, I know you had a question here for the psychiatrist and mental health specialist. I wanted to give you the chance to ask that now if you're, if you're able to unmute. Um, yes. Hi. Yeah. This is Rochelle. So I was asking, like, what factors have to be in place in order for a psychiatrist or a psychologist to sign off on saying that a guardianship or a conservatorship is needed for a patient? And I only ask this because, like, you know, I went through some really hard mental health uh, issues when I was in my 20s, and I ended up having to be hospitalized myself. And my dad, who was scared because I, I was suicidal at the time, I used to be a professional ballerina, and I went through some trauma that rendered me unable to dance anymore. And so um, I just started spiraling down from that. My father did want, my mom and dad did want to have me under a guardianship. They were just really worried about me. They wanted me to come back and live at home and all this stuff. And my psychiatrist and my psychologist at the hospital told them that that wasn't necessary, that they didn't feel comfortable signing off on that because they thought that I was doing really well in my treatment. And so it's like, I don't understand like what, what would cause a psychologist or a psychiatrist to sign off on that. And I'm done speaking. Such a... Oh, and real quick, so I think this portends in question too, a good question too, because it also plays in to the huge aspect that this is some conspiracy. Um, yeah, so I'm looking forward, Owen and Carlene, to hearing your answer and kind of the thoughtfulness that I assume goes into this. Owen, do you want to? Yeah, I mean, so ethical principles are always in conflict. When people talk about something being unethical, they kind of don't understand medical ethics because there's a tension here between autonomy and wanting to do right by someone, which we call beneficence, and also not doing harm, which we call non-maleficence. So we have a conflict built into this situation where protecting someone automatically means they have less freedom. And the more you protect them, the less freedom you have. And it sounds like in, in Hazel's case and in you know, perhaps in Brittany's case as well, obviously I don't know where I'm not making a decision, the people having to make decisions. First off, I don't know if, if the, the psychiatric records, you know, in the beginning were written by people who had any idea they'd be used in court. 
that, that's my first kind of question. It, th- this type of issue comes up for us, um, you know, on a, sh- a smaller scale, like if you're in a, in a psychiatric hospital and it needs to go to court because it's not voluntary. Um, and usually in that case, you know, the hospital has legal representation and then it's really important that the individual has the legal representation as well. Um, and usually, you know, in those cases, whoever has been like treating the person is really what we call more of like a fact witness, meaning that they just kind of testify like, you know, here's my notes from the, when I saw this person, you know, this is, this is my thing. They're not really like weighing in so much on an opinion. They're more just sort of stating like the, the, the situation. Um, and similarly, like with a guardianship, like I, if, if one of my patients was, was, you know, that was on the table, I really would be a fact witness. I could testify that, you know, this is, this is, you know, I have these sessions, they come, this is kind of what happens, you know, all of that. But usually what you really need is, is both sides to have their sort of expert witnesses um, where they would have psychiatrists or psychologists, um, you know, like like examining this person and and weighing a sort of a, a view, but they're not usually the people doing like the everyday treatment kind of stuff because that gets really uh it gets really messy and you know my job is to advocate for my patients um and so you know i think one of the things in Brittany's case is that she wants to have like another evaluation like her her she wants to have her own attorney who can pick her own expert and have you know a psychiatrist such as such as myself or amanda you know anyway so someone could kind of just hint it no no come in and, and kind of you know weigh in and and provide an opinion that may be different from kind of the other sides. And then ultimately it's up to a judge, right? It's not up to the clinicians, which is, I think where things can really kind of get out of hand here, right? Because it's, it's at the end of the day, it's not, it's, you know, a judge is making decisions rather than a doctor. That's also a problem in hospital settings. Um, Owen, did you want to chime in or are you just <laughs> resonating with that? No, I, I, I do a little bit. So forensic psychiatry is the is the overlap of psychiatry and the law. And we're brought in as forensic experts to testify in court cases about psychiatry, about medicine, not about the law. And judges have opinions uh, that they form over time. And, you know, I remember testifying in front of a judge in mental health court in, a, you know, basically a much less contentious matter because it was about involuntary commitment, which is a huge deal, but it's not your whole life. And the judge said from the stand in, the, in New York, uh, psychiatrists are all a bunch of Nazis. Gavel oh. down, patient released from the hospital. But I didn't, like, you know, it's an extreme statement, but it was biased towards the autonomy of a person. And that's really important because sometimes in our, in our urgency and, and, and desire to do good, we can we can risk taking away people's freedom like is happening here. But this that was talking about one involuntary commitment. This is someone's entire freedom for their for their life. There are different circumstances where one of those medical ethics, just specifically thinking of the two autonomy versus beneficence are, are held up. Um, differentially. And so, of course, when we think of, you know, children or or elderly people with terminal illnesses where it's not expected that it would get better or people who can't make their own decisions. But I would say that, you know, what people might interpret as evidence of that can be very societally informed if somebody is not meeting expectations that um, that others have of them. And when you're talking about celebrities, 
um, especially uh, women celebrities, people who are perceived as women, people who are mothers, the expectations that society um, puts on them are, you know, rather dysfunctional, right? We, we rarely see um, male identified celebrities who may have episodes of anger or, or rage or even potentially episodes of violence. We rarely see that as evidence that gets used to take away their parental rights or to put them under a conservatorship. But when something is so discordant with our society's view of here is this, you know, new mother, a lot of these things were happening, you know, when she was um, within the first couple of years postpartum, or here is this celebrity who's ha who has this carefully cultivated image that, you know, started out as this sort of confident schoolgirl image, right, in the very beginning, and, it, and, the, and to have emotions that can be um, angry, right, um, to, is so discordant even if they're completely justified, even if they're completely normal, and even if they wouldn't be applied in analogous situations with other people. And I think that's one of the problems in this case, too. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, Amanda, getting I'm glad you brought up the... this angle. Oh, go ahead. Sure. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Forgive me. This is Jan. And getting back to the original question about what are the standards that a psychiatrist or psychologist would need in order to sign off on something like this as it finally came to light, it's the judge in the case that's making the decision. And that judge, based on what the standards are in any given state, and they may vary, is making the decision. And like was pointed out, you know, it's not the doctor, it's not the psychiatrist, it's not the psychologist that's making the decision. And if you've got dueling psychiatrists, it's going to be, well, you know, what do they want to do? Or as you were just pointing out, forgive me, I'm sorry, I missed who was speaking. Um, it may be whether or not the person is meeting what that particular judge thinks is appropriate behavior for someone in that situation. And the, I'm really surprised, of course, I don't, I have not read and I'm, uh, don't know what her actual diagnosis is, Britney Spears's diagnosis, but having been someone who's been in a situation where I was almost ready to go to court over whether or not they were going to put me in a on a on a hold, and I I know that I am very troubled that a judge would make a decision to permanently place somebody into a conservatorship of both the body and all of their cash into the conservatorship when the, I don't understand why, uh, she, knowing that she is so high functioning and it, it, I'm not saying that there's a, some con grand conspiracy, but there's just so much money involved there that, that, that it does become an issue. And it is very troubling. Yeah. As of this week, which is about three weeks after that show aired, Brittany's dad has been filed to have the conservatorship removed from him. The ability to take away someone's rights is a serious one. And mental illness can be really bad. And we don't want people ruining their lives. And we also have the danger 
of taking away people's ability to choose to control themselves. There aren't easy answers here, but I hope this conversation helped us all think about it a little bit more, and there's more to come from the Frontier Psychiatrist. Keep tuning in. Thanks so much. Asksphere.club is the website to sign up for info on more of this. I'm Dr. Owen Muir, and for myself and Dr. Carlene McMillan, thanks for listening. Will there be another rug to come along and be pulled out from under us? Maybe Blaze Cats will do a better job of altering all our men and Adam. We'll make great pets. We will 